If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And if not, we are going to have the scriptures. We're going to be reading a few different passages from a few different places. Um, so we're going to have them on the screen for you to follow along as well. This morning, we're beginning a series called The Discipleship Journey. And to start that journey, let's travel together to the region in Israel called Galilee. And we're by the Sea of Galilee in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Finally, I want to turn to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Twelve years ago, I invited ten guys in the church to be a part of an intensive 12-week discipleship program. And to kick off the program, we had a big outdoor barbecue lunch and for, the, for the guys, but also for their, their wives and their kids and their families. And uh, as at some point in the time, I was introducing and kind of giving an overview of what this discipleship program was going to entail. I kind of saw it as like a mini Marines boot camp thing. And uh, overcome in the moment, I, I turned to the wives and I said, ladies, I said, say goodbye to your husbands. Because the man you get back in 12 weeks isn't going to be the same man. And their eyes lit up, you know, the idea. The truth is, I overpromised and underdelivered because they got the same guys back. Change comes hard. Change comes hard in our lives. Discipleship is the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Jesus called people, as we just read, and seven men called them to be his disciples. Jesus taught about the cost of discipleship. And then Jesus commissioned his church to go and make disciples, more disciples. The mission of the church, I think, could be summed up as being disciples that make disciples. 
being disciples that make disciples. That's our mission. But I think a lot of churches struggle, including Grace Community Church, with this whole concept of disciple making, especially the Great Commission part of it. Statistics show that most church growth isn't from people coming to faith in Christ these days. Most church growth is coming from people moving from one church to another. And that's not, that's not necessarily wrong. That's necessary at times. But it's not kingdom growth. It's not salvation growth. It's not fulfilling the Great Commission. Discipleship is about real change in our lives. But as these guys found out, and I found out with our discipleship program, change doesn't come easily. It doesn't come easily. It's very possible to be a Christian, attend church regularly, and yet after many years, have little change to show for those years. How can it be possible you might wonder. And I'm going to put some thoughts out there. See if you identify with these. How is it possible after 10 years, our marriage is struggling in the same areas we struggled with 10 years ago? Maybe things have even gotten worse. Or that you keep losing your temper with your kids and you see it putting up a wall between you and your kids, but you can't seem to help yourself. Or you lie awake at night because your finances are a mess and you're up to your eyeballs in debt. Or you don't want your coworkers to know that you're a Christian because you know your life is not the witness it should be. I often think sometimes... For some drivers, the best thing they could do for their Christian witness is to take that Christian bumper sticker off their car, you know. At least they're not hindering people from coming to the kingdom. Or maybe your busy season has been going on for five years and you're beginning to realize it's not a season, it's a lifestyle. You don't feel close to God. You get little from the Bible when you read it. And prayer isn't much better if you pray at all. You attend church, but you don't feel connected to people in the church. Church has become little more than a meeting you go to on Sunday mornings. I wish I could say that when a person becomes a Christian, all these things magically change. They just change, but I can't say that. They don't. Sincere believers struggle in these and so many other ways, and change doesn't happen easily. I want to encourage us this morning, change is possible. It is possible. And my prayer is that in this series, God helps position us as a church and as individual believers to see more discipleship change going on in our lives. Not a program, not a 12-week program, but life change. 
I call it the discipleship journey because discipleship is not a destination we arrive at. It's not a goal we achieve. It's, it's not a height we attain to. It's a journey. It's a journey. And like any journey, it consists of a series of steps, small steps, sometimes larger steps, but steps in that journey. It's progress, not a program. And that progress is often not a straight, linear line where you just get better and better and better and stronger and stronger and stronger. Often that progress is messy and zigzags. And sometimes there's two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes, like Peter, we're saying the revelation from the very heart of the Father, and just a few minutes later, we're speaking the words of the devil. How is that even possible? Talk about regression. It's a journey. It consists of steps, and it's sometimes very messy. Don't look at mess and think, well, that means God's not working here. And over the years... And I've been a Christian a long time, and I've been in a lot of different churches, and I've seen a lot of different things. So I have learned the hard way that because someone kind of seems to have their life all together and look put together, sometimes that put together hides a heart that is far from God. And sometimes that person that's a hot mess God's doing a really real work in their heart and life. Sometimes mess is not an indication that discipleship isn't going on. Sometimes mess is an indication that discipleship is going on. Jesus calls us to be disciples that make disciples. How can we do that more effectively as a church? That's a question I've been asking. I'm not standing here as the expert. I'm not standing here with the answers. I'm taking this journey with you. I am the teacher who Monday night is cramming to give the test on Tuesday to the kids. So I know Tuesday what the kids are learning. It's, but let's take this journey together. Let's take this journey together. And we start that journey with the two words that for every disciple of Jesus Christ begins the journey of discipleship. The two words, follow me. Follow me. Those two words contain a wealth of meaning for us. I want to share three thoughts about what those two words mean to us. The first is this, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. It's a call into fellowship with Jesus. Follow me. It meant something different than it means today with Instagram or Twitter where people follow and it means they're just checking out posts or pictures. When Jesus said, follow me, he's saying he's inviting us to do life with him. He's inviting us to walk with him, to know him, to watch what he does, to participate in what he does, and as we do, get to know his heart, get to know his character, get to know his values. It is fellowship. The discipleship journey is walking life out with Jesus Christ as our closest companion. 
our friend. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, the Bible says. He will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us always, even to the end of the age. These are the promises Jesus has made to us. And if we forget that discipleship flows from relationship, friendship, companionship with Jesus, it starts, discipleship becomes a performance thing. It becomes a performance issue for us. Am I doing enough for Jesus? Discipleship sermons become, you need to do more for Jesus. You need to get out and do this. You need to stop doing that. You need to, and it becomes performance. Am I doing enough for Jesus? Am I witnessing enough? Am I changing enough? Am I committed enough? And here's what we lose sight of. And this is what I want to really stress for our hearts because this is the foundation. Discipleship, the big thing about discipleship isn't your commitment to Jesus. It's his commitment to you. That's the big thing. Jesus went all the way to the cross out of commitment for us, out of love for us. So yes, we are to be committed, but that commitment's built on his stronger commitment. And it's his grip holding you that is what holds you, not your grip holding him. I tend towards being transactional in my relationship with God. I know it, he knows it, we're working on it. But transactional means if I do this for you, you will do this for me. And, and that's not just if I give $10, he'll give me $100. That's also if I do this, he'll love me. If I do that, he'll accept me. That's transactional. Jeez, God does not want us relating to him on a transactional basis. He wants us relating to him on a love basis, on the basis of love. He didn't die to make you his customer. He died to make you his son or his daughter. And our children are not our children because of transactions. It's because of love. That's the heart of the gospel. So follow me invites us into an intimate companionship and friendship with Jesus Christ and with God. And everything else flows from that relationship. Follow me is a call to fellowship with Jesus. But here's the thing we need to remember. It is fellowship on the move. It is fellowship on the move. Jesus, when he said, follow me, it's a call to change. The very essence of it is a call to change. Peter said to Peter, or Jesus said to Peter, you've been a fisher of fish. Follow me. I will make you a fisher of men. That's a radical change. That's a radical change. And, G and Peter didn't say, hey, Jesus, can I keep on doing what I'm doing and just slap a fish bumper sticker on my boat? He left everything and followed Jesus. Now, I don't want to go too far down this road, but the call to follow Jesus for most believers is not exactly the same as the 12 apostles because they left their jobs, they left their families, they left everything and traveled from town to town with Jesus. Now, 
I don't know of any church that says every believer should quit their jobs, leave their families, and travel from town to town. But at the core of it, it, the call to follow Jesus was a call for Peter and James and John and all these to, to change their priorities and direction in life and realign those things with Jesus Christ. Not with him following them, but them following him. And that is the same for all of us. It is a call to realign our priorities and our direction to his direction and his priorities. And that means change. I believe down the road we're going to talk a little bit more about change in a message that I'm thinking of calling the challenge of change. But sometimes we get spiritually stuck, not because we can't change, not because we don't know how to change, but if we're honest, because we don't want to change. We don't want to change. We want to follow Jesus wherever he goes. But we want to stay where we are while we do that. We want to make progress, but we don't want to move. We want change that doesn't change what we want. And discipleship doesn't work that way. Follow me is a call to change. And I think this is often where the Bible hits the road in our lives. When we're harsh or unkind to our spouse, Jesus wants to change that so that we are kind and patient with our spouse. It's change. If we're a bad steward with our money, Jesus wants to lead us into good stewardship so that if we just come and pray and say, God, give me more money so I can pay off my debt, God answers that prayer and says, no, I'm not going to give you more money because you're a bad steward of what you have. I want you to follow me through my word, and learn principles of good stewardship and become a good steward. Change. Now listen, this change isn't something we can do on our own. It's not something we can do on our own. The Lord has given us His Holy Spirit. He has given us His word in order to help us and empower us to make these changes. We cannot make these changes on our own, but I do want to underline for us, because I think especially in churches that are, that are more uh, reformed in theology, that while we can't do the change apart from him, he's not going to do some of these changes in us apart from our effort, our application. Because we don't want to get super spiritual and say, hey, it's all up to God. It's all up to God. Because if you follow that logically, then... If you haven't changed in 10 years, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. It's all up to God. The problem, I'm pretty sure, is not with God. I'm pretty sure the problem's with us. When it comes to sanctification and change in these areas in our life, Jesus doesn't say, step aside, allow me. He says, with me and follow me. So now I know, and here's where, here's where my concern is. Uh, I know this could easily slip into a legalistic mentality. This could slip into what I'm going to call the Nike mentality. Just do it. Uh, and that's where this could go. Just, just do it. You know, uh, 
Legalism thinks that we can do these things for God in our power, and that can be the message. Just do it. You need to be. And you fill in the blank. You need to be. You need to stop being this. Just do it. Nike Christianity. But the opposite of Nike Christianity is Netflix Christianity, where we sit on a couch and we wait and watch God do it. And that doesn't work either. I enjoy watching a good movie or a good TV show as much as anybody. I do. There have been shows that to me have become, and I'm kind of one of those immersion people. I don't know if you are that. Raise your hand if you're an immersion person. You know, you ever sit down and watch a show, and I like to immerse. I'm there. And then other people are like, so how, you know, while the show's going on, how was your week? Like, it was good until now. I am with this FBI agent about ready to break into that house and get the bad guys. I don't want to talk to you about my week right now. I'm an immersion people. I get engrossed with what's going on. And it's like, what's going to happen next? And in the end of the show, I love how some of these shows, my wife could tell you years ago, I got, I got lost in lost. And it's like, every show ended like, what's going to happen next? It's only one in the morning. I don't need sleep. I'm going to watch. So yes, I admit it. I have binge-watched shows. But here's the thing. Those shows, whatever show you're into right now, they aren't real life. Even if it's reality TV you're into, that ain't real life. That's the furthest thing from real life. But here's the problem. If we're not careful... And this is not against watching a a show, but if we're not careful, those things can become real life. Those things can substitute for real life for us. We can withdraw from a lot of the annoying, inconvenient things that people introduce into our lives, and we can sit on our couch and enjoy life as it's lived out in front of us. We watch them live their lives. And we watch them work out their problems, catch the bad guys. We laugh at their foibles. We hope they get the girl at the end for those who like chick flicks. Or the bad guy, for those who like crime shows. We, our eyes get misty, our hearts warmed as we watch those two people work through their conflict. And it looks like it's over and then they're able to find out that they really care about each other so much and they work through that conflict and they are forge a deeper and more meaningful relationship and our eyes get misty and our heart gets warmed. Oh, if we could only see the filming of that and hear the cut to realize that's not real life. But here's the thing, you know as well as I do, these things can become really big parts of our lives. What we look forward to, what we think about, what we're most committed to. Hmm, Bible study on Wednesday night 
but my favorite show is on Wednesday night. No competition. So on the one extreme is Nike Christianity, just do it. And on the other extreme is Netflix Christianity. Jesus says, follow me. It was necessary for the disciples to follow him into real life for them to get to know who he really was. Jesus didn't say, come to my webinar, read my quotes, or anything else like that. He brought them into real life because it was where dust hit their feet. It's where lives hit their travels that they learned who Jesus is. And the same thing is true for us. He doesn't say, watch, sit and watch me do it. He says, follow me, follow me. And as we do, our direction is changed step by step from anger to patience, but step by step with often some regressive steps from impurity to purity, from selfishness to love, from bad stewardship to good stewardship. Change, it's not easy, it's discipleship lived out in the messy annoying, inconvenient context of real life. Follow me is a call to change. And lastly, follow me is a call to walk together in all of that. Walk together in all of that. Because when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, they necessarily ended up together. They had to walk together as they followed Jesus. There was no way Peter could say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I'm not going to be with these other people. Following him meant he was with these other people. And that's really what the church is. Disciples walking with Jesus together. That's what the church is. To be disciples that make disciples. To be disciples that make disciples. And I think this challenges us to look at church maybe a little differently than we're used to. If the mission and the vision of the church is to be disciples that make disciples, then the church is all about both growing as disciples and helping others grow. Growing is the inward flow of discipleship. Going is the outward flow of discipleship. We need both. And this means the church is all of us growing and all of us going. As we see discipleship as a journey, we're not expecting ourselves to take one giant leap 100 miles in one step. We're not expecting others to take a hundred mile leap in one step. Better to ask the question, I think, what's the next step in this journey? What's the next step? And for discipleship, there's always a next step. So I want to share just on a practical note, behind the scenes, some of us are working on Grace Community Church, our church structure and process, really with just this in heart, to help us do a better job of helping people know 
what that next step is. We can't force people to take that next step, but to know what is that next step. From whether helping a, a, a first-time visitor know what first steps they can take to get to know who we are a little better, to helping a Sunday attender or attendee uh, know what steps they can take to get more connected in the church, to helping potential leaders get trained and given opportunities to lead. What's the next step? We want to make tangible changes to that process because it's, I think it's weak. I think it's been random. And that doesn't serve people best. But I want to give you, here's my ask. Because we are the church. We are the church. And sometimes we can think, yeah, I wonder when the church is going to get their act together. And we wait and watch. Here's my ask. Be the change. Be the change. Be the change. You are the church. We are the church. You are the one who can help that person next to you take the next step in their journey. You are the one who can help an unbeliever consider the claims of Jesus, maybe for the first time in their life. A lot of times that's not going to look like you share something, they fall on their knees and say, how can I get saved? Sometimes it's just you're just presenting the claims of Jesus or the witness of the Lord in your life in a way that makes them consider and that's the next step in their discipleship journey is to consider the claims of Jesus. And you may never see where that goes, but you are the one who can help them take that next step. Maybe you're the one who can be that connection that someone coming to church makes. And I want to thank you guys because you're, I think, really good at this and have a heart to do this. But... You can be the one that helps someone make a connection that can make a huge difference in their life. Or they come in burdened and they come in weighed down and they become in maybe feeling condemned or maybe feeling discouraged. And you're just saying, hey, how are you? And maybe at some point in a co short conversation, you say, can I pray with you? And you help lift that burden off their shoulders. You are the one. You are the one whose influence can maybe help a young believer take a next step to grow in their faith in Christ. Or help someone feel cared for. You might be the one who can lead a ministry or a community group, a Bible study, or some other context to help people grow in their faith. You might be the one who can help lead this church in songs, worship, And if you're not that one, you can be the one to pray and ask God with me to provide that. Amen? Amen. You hear what I'm saying? As we walk through this journey, we don't want to just identify discipleship as growing. We want to understand it's going. And that can be going to 
another nation. It can be going to that unbeliever at work. But it can also be going to a new believer or another believer and helping them take the next step. Helping them in their next step in their life. I submit to you, and we'll talk a lot more about this, I don't think we're going to do the growing that God intends for us to do until we add the going. Because the going helps the growing. And the growing helps the going. What's the next step in the discipleship journey? We should be asking that. Follow me. Jesus is with you. I want to just, as we close this morning, I want to just encourage you. Jesus is with you. This isn't about you doing things. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is real, who is risen, who lives in you. He is with you. Draw near to him. When you open the word of God, when you take a walk to pray, don't just do it as like, okay, I've got to get this done. Recognize Jesus is with me. So I'm reading his word to hear him and know him. And I'm praying as I'm talking to my friend, my Savior. He is with you. And then be honest. Lord, show me where you're calling me to change. I don't want to be the same person a year from now that I am today. I don't want to hold on to things and say I'm just going to stay here and rationalize it. Jesus, where do you want me to change? And then listen for him to share. Because he will. And then look for ways you can help others take that next step in their journey. How can you be an encouragement? In a big way or in a small way, how can you go and help them take their next step? Will you pray with me? In church, will we pray together that the Lord helps us. That this is not just another message series. It's not just a program. But it's going to be a change. That we grow in together. And a journey we take together. Will you pray with me? Jesus in a sense we all. Stand at the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And we have heard your, your words to us at some point in our lives, those who are believers, follow me. Follow me. But Lord, those aren't just two words that start at the beginning of our journey. You say them frequently to us. As Jesus said to Peter, after he rose from the dead. And Peter's pointing out John saying, hey, how about him? Is he going to have to suffer the way I'm going to have to suffer? And Jesus said, what is that to you? You follow me. That, those words hit our lives every time we make a decision, make a choice. Every action, every thought. And you're calling us to a lifestyle, a greater growing lifestyle of following you. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We begin thanking you for your friendship and companionship. We get to walk this life out with you. Help us, Lord, 
to let you into those areas to change us. Whatever that might be. For one person, you say, it's anger. For another person, it's pride. For another person, it's a hard heart. Whatever it might be, help us to change. And then, Lord, help us to do it together, that as a church we grow together in a fresh sense of discipleship and growing together and serving you together. And I think in some ways, most importantly, going together. Going together. Would you help us, Lord, wherever we are to be mindful of the Great Commission to make disciples, to help lead other people in the steps towards Jesus. Would you help us to do that? We know we can't do it, but you can do it through us, Lord. Would you do that? Holy Spirit, I pray you bring specific conviction to each of us in specific areas of our lives right now. And as we leave here, help us not forget, but help us to, with you, seek to take the step that you have for us next. And we ask this in the name of our beloved Jesus. In his precious name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. We're just starting this journey. And I'm looking forward to it. So God bless you. Have a great day.